This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. It's such an honor to present this next award. And here are the nominees. And... The Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. I'm the king of the world. There's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. I am Katie Rich. It's the day after the Emmys, and I am here with Rebecca Ford. Hi. And with David Canfield. Hello. Um, it's our traditional uh, bleary morning after award show show. Rebecca, you're the bleariest eye of us all because you were actually at the Emmys and at the after parties. Um, are your feet okay? Are you okay? Uh, how's it going? My feet are okay. And I, yeah, I'm okay. The parties were, were nice, and I'm sure we'll get into all that. But uh it was a little bit of a long night, but a fun one. Uh, you, you've trained for this for years. You're well prepared. Um, so we'll talk about the Emmy show and who won and all of that. And I kind of feel like we shouldn't even beat around the bush and just start with the undeniable highlight of Emmys <laughs> ever, which was Cheryl Lee Ralph's victory for Abbott Elementary. Um, David, in your review of the show, uh, you made to me an interesting point, which is that, like, it's not just that she gave a great speech and that people were so excited for her, which she totally was, but that victories like hers are kind of the point of the Emmys and something that they get away from the more that, like, full-on movie stars make television shows. Why did her victory seem not just, like, thrilling, but, like, emblematic of what the Emmys should be? It was right there when she, when they said her name. You know, she looked so stunned in the way she sat in that chair and really took it in. Um, first of all, an absolute show business pro <laughs> to not <laughs> feel so flustered by that moment and really just allow it to take its time and get to that stage and just completely nail it in the way that she did. Yeah, that is a veteran of TV, of this business, of stage, who is going to do a great job at the Emmys if they get the opportunity. Uh, and the Emmys have historically, to your point, Katie, always honored the kinds of stars that are not movie stars. Um, and when you get someone like Cheryl Lee Ralph, who framed her speech around the fact that this was a very long time coming, it, it makes the award seem really gratifying and meaningful in a way that, you know, the Oscars do that in their own way. Sure, it's an Oscar, but uh, it is the distinctive value of an Emmy as a kind of unique career acknowledgement more for character actors and those that don't get the spotlight as much. So the combination of them choosing her, which was a big surprise, and of her meeting the moment was inarguably the highlight of the ceremony, but also as the night wore on, a reminder of what they don't do enough, perhaps. Mm -hmm. 
Well, the unique challenge of the Emmys is things like Jason Sudeikis and Gene Smart speech, where you could kind of see them both trying to be like, well, last time I thought I would win, but this time I didn't know. And like <laughs> acknowledging that they just are on these winning streaks. Um, yeah. You know, nothing like Julia Louis-Dreyfus winning six years in a row. But I think the the thrill of a Cheryl Lee Ralph only happens when it's new. And not that people don't deserve to win Emmys multiple times, but the newness is a huge part of it. Yeah. yeah it's funny because when they were announcing the nominees, you know, Janelle James also got a huge applause in the room. And that was the moment I was like, oh, Abbott might be able to like win comedy yeah. series, you know, because in the room, it just felt like that cast was definitely getting a lot of the energy. And then when Cheryl won, you know, the room just like exploded. Everyone was so excited. So I agree with David. That's definitely the kind of moment that you want to feel on a show like this. Yeah, Abbott is such a unique case of like being a network show, which we've talked about being feeling like such an outdated format, um, but being so fresh and beloved and like having the the industry enthusiasm at its back. Um, and with that and with Quentin Brunson's win later for writing for a comedy series, you could just like feel how much everyone was rooting for this show, which, you know, not that anyone was really against anything else in the room, but you can feel it when it's special, even on television. Rebecca, I want to ask you about a moment of semi-controversy. I don't know if really this even counts, but people got really mad about Jimmy Kimmel laying on the stage during Quinta Brinson's speech, which I agree was stupid. And I think if you asked Jimmy Kimmel, he'd probably say, like, I I wish that hadn't happened. Did you notice any of this uh, in the room while you were watching it happen? No, this is one of those cases where the the controversy is happening on social media and the people in the room are are not uh, noticing the controversy. So in the the room, it felt totally fine. I I agree. It probably would have been better if he rolled off the stage. But, you know, and then at the Disney party after Quinta and Jimmy were both there and, you know, they seemed totally fine with each other. So I, I don't think there was any real issue, you know, other than how it may have looked on television. The only other thing I could come up with what's close to controversy was Jesse Armstrong in the um, best drama series, Win for Succession, lightly rising <laughs> Prince or King Charles the Third, um, which for Jesse Armstrong's career, of course, he doesn't like the monarchy. Yes. Yeah. Other than that, it was a pretty, um, pretty well-behaved evening, I think. That moment yeah. was talked about in the audience where I was sitting. Interesting. So if, if anything came up, I feel like everyone was kind of like... Oh, his mom just died. Let's not be so hard on him. But, um, yeah, but that was the only moment I feel like there was a, a murmur like that. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts, only from NPR. Wondry's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip syncing, their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Farian and Ingrid Segeith, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, ad-free right now on Wondery Plus. So, David, you were in the Hollywood slack kind of as Abbott won some stuff. Um, Gene Smart won again. We're thinking like, 
oh, wait, maybe Ted Lasso won't win. And I think, you know, Brett Goldstein wins. And earlier in the night, and you were like, wait, what if it wins everything again? Did it feel like a decent compromise that we didn't get like a Ted Lasso Shits Creek steamroller and that the awards were a little bit more spread out? Or should Ted Lasso have, you know, stepped aside this year? You know, it was a, it was a fun ride. I think if you look at last year having the crown and Ted Lasso just completely dominate and there being no suspense when it came to the announcement of the big categories, I don't think that was the case this year. Maybe in drama, Succession didn't need to win a ton to win the big one, um, and it was pretty safe there, I think. Um, but in comedy, Quinta Brunson won writing, which was a big moment for her. It was much needed for her to get on that stage, given that Abbott was the breakout of the year. Uh, Shirley Ralph winning Supporting Actress, to me, felt like Abbott had a real shot uh, mm. in the race. But yeah, for me, it was the moment when Ted Lasso won directing. It didn't even win directing last year. MJ Delaney won for the episode No Weddings and a Funeral over what, to, to me, seemed like a very clear winner in Bill Hader for a pretty extraordinary episode of Barry. And that, to me, just showed, oh, if the director's branch is still this in the tank for Ted Lasso, given that they didn't bother to give it the win last year, then it does have what it takes to go all the way. In this category, it can be quite difficult for voters to move on. You know, we had Veep winning over and over. We had Modern Family winning over and over. You can go back to shows like 30 Rock and Frasier. You know, it, it happens very, very consistently in this category. I think... The difference is that because television has moved so much faster since, you know, those shows were on the air and there are so many shows that it does feel a little bit more stale. And it does feel like maybe those habits need to be scrutinized, scrutinized a little bit more closely, not to say we don't criticize it every year and have it for a long time. But, you know, Ted Lasso aired back last summer. I wasn't as well received of, of a run. In the interim, you had shows like Abbott Elementary coming back, coming into the race so strong, uh, only murders in the building as well. Um, and, and it does feel a little bit like, meh, you know, it's it's a fine win. It is a show widely liked both in the industry and by viewers at home. So it's not something you can really widely criticize, but for an award show to stay fresh, which I think is more important now than ever, uh, I don't think they quite heeded that task. What's interesting is that despite the fact that this category loves streaks, Ted Lasso is the first multiple winner in at least five years. Like, it's been yep. toggling around a lot, which, you know, is part of what made Fleabag such an unusual winner when it won. So maybe we're just like, Emmy's going to Emmy, and we're <laughs> we're kind of asking them to be something that they're not. Um, because like you said, like, there was some variety in there. There was a sense that they knew that they couldn't just, like, check off every single box on there. Um, Rebecca, did you notice any kind of vibe around the Ted Lasso table this year? You know, I saw Jason Sudeikis walking through the the after party with his two Emmys and like <laughs> surrounded by obviously fans and well-wishers and things like that. And, and it felt like last year, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> um, so I, I also am not a huge fan of like history sort of repeating itself with these categories. And I do, I do think that if Abbott's second season is as good or better than its first, you know, with this new attention it's gotten after winning these Emmys, it'll be a, a huge threat next year. So I, I only see their momentum going up. And I think that could hopefully uh, result in some interesting changes next year. But speaking of energy, I have to say the energy around Lizzo at the party <laughs> just made that one of my favorite wins ever because she was like, 
on the dance floor with an Emmy in one hand and wine in the other and like singing along to her own song that the Beatles yes. fan was Yes, playing. that's what I want to hear. And, and I'm just like, thank goodness she won and she was there because that was just definitely a highlight of of the and you know all the all the women from her show were there and just celebrating together and that was the kind of like fresh energy I was hoping to see. That was uh, such a smart campaign by Amazon Mm -hmm. so I will give them a shout out because it takes a lot for a network or a streamer to realize hey this category has not been changed in many many years People are sick. And I love, I'm a huge drag race watcher. People are probably a little sick of it winning at this point. Um, So let's go for it. And they really, and Lizzo too, really campaigned hard for that show. I saw a few episodes. It's a really strong entrant in that category. And I think it deserved to to disrupt it a little bit. And yeah, that was, that was to me, one of the more gratifying wins of the night, just because it really showed voters responding to shifts in that category and finally uh, breaking their streak which they are not, it was just not easy to do in these kinds of categories. See last week tonight with John Oliver. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we talked about streaks in the comedy series category. I mean, the like, the streaks in reality competition and whatever, is it variety series writing that John Oliver keeps winning? Like, it's, or, yeah, yeah it's, there are some streaks that just never, ever seem to end, which is why I was really convinced Lizzo wouldn't win. And then I indulged in some conspiracy theories. Like, Lizzo's a huge star. Like, is she going to come to the Emmys to lose to RuPaul, or did they tell her that she was going to win? And then the speech, it just, you know, I'm sure she's a good actor, but she's probably not that good an actor that she could fake <laughs> that enthusiasm. Um, and I knew, because Rebecca and Joy, you told me about your seats, that when she was, like, calling for the other, for the women on the show to come down, and I was like, oh, no, they're stuck out there. They can't come down. <laughs> they Siberia. Like, they cut to it. them up in the rafters. Um, but were, were they all there? at the party, Rebecca? Were they also having a good time? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, Everyone was celebrating together, which is nice. Uh, that is, that's what I really needed to know. Well, if, you, if you're looking for a juggernaut, I think the White Lotus in limited series is really the closest one. Like, my wife just yeah. never really left that stage. Um, I really did love Mindy Kaling and BJ Novak's joke about, uh, you know, how easy it is to make a show these days. Like, how was your pandemic? Mike White was just (laughs) kind of another feather in his cap. Um, But I think in terms of, like, big winners for a night, like, how can you hold it against Mike White? He's been making television for so long. He's made so many shows that, like, people loved and got no attention at all. For him to finally have his moment, I I just really felt thrilled by it. Yeah, I was was here for it. (laughs) (laughs) I I love Mike White. I love Mike White on Survivor. I love Mike White and his dad on The Amazing Race, and I actually kind of cried a little bit when he started crying about his dad because yeah. if, if you've seen if you saw them on the show together and there was a whole there's a whole backstory there of his father coming out late in life um Mike White also being queer as well obviously uh, it was it's a, it was a really moving moment I think for him and and for the whole show and yeah I mean the, the, my favorite Mike White moment of the whole show though was when Jennifer Coolidge said which we haven't even mentioned Jennifer Coolidge yet we'll um I had a lavender bath and they just cut to Mike White <laughs> <laughs> laughing so hysterically, but also so lovingly. And it's like, oh, I, I understand this friendship completely now. <laughs> like, I, this to me is the essence of Mike White just absolutely loving every Jennifer Coolidge-ism while also recognizing that she's better than Hollywood has let her show most of the time. So that was a nice moment, too. No, we should talk about Jennifer Coolidge because she and Maria Bartlett were kind of like gold-plated winners already. We knew that. Um, And she was giving this great speech and talking about her lavender bath. And then the music would not stop playing her off. And I think that was the most egregious playoff of the night. And then she danced to it, which was really incredible. And they still cut (laughs) away from her. I think... 
I think they cut directly to Lizzo after that. I seem to remember like being like, oh, they're in a hurry because Lizzo's like getting ready for a bit. But still, why were they so aggressive about this? Like, I that's one of the worst uh, like orchestra playoff award shows that I've seen. I mean, they did end on time, so I guess it worked. <laughs> but Rebecca's like, I left at 11 p.m. I am not complaining. <laughs> but, you know, it's funny because before it started, they, there's like a warm-up guy who talks to the crowd and advises them on how to give speeches. And he played the, the two songs that were going to be played if you didn't finish your speech in time and, like, was very serious about this. And we were all like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. But they really stuck to their guns about it. I, I mean, with certain people more so than others. I, I do think stay. Shirley Ralph went over 45 seconds. Yeah, and Gene Smart got to talk for a long time too. But So I always think that inconsistency is a little unfair, you know? Yeah. Um, and I don't know I don't know the solution to that, but they, this was definitely the most aggressive playing off I've seen in a while too. It was a part of a larger I want to say cheesy vibe of mm. this year's show. And I don't know how it played in the room, but for us watching on the show... It definitely had the feeling of, to me, dinner theater almost, where wow. the, the way the way the stage was set up. I mean, I just I cannot get Oprah Winfrey looking so regal opening the show with just like this really clunky, bad lighting set up around her and just the audience surrounding her kind of awkwardly looking on. And I'm like, let her have this big stage moment. And I get mm. the Emmys are not what they were five years ago for many reasons. But the DJ in general and the songs that were played uh, is in the walk-up music, just it made it all feel really, I don't want to say low rent at times, although maybe I do want to say low rent. <laughs> uh, uh, or just like maybe not meeting the sort of, you know, snobby appeal of the moment at times. You know, I don't, I don't want Jesse Armstrong to walk up to shake your booty. I just, <laughs> I have standards. I just, I can't, I can't abide by it. I'm generally a defender of the dinner theater setup, and I think it's probably even more enjoyable if you're in the room. And Rebecca, you can speak to that. But and I like the like greenery and the ceiling. It had this like tavern on the green kind of vibe. I think Joy Press pointed that out. But I agree with you that like the lighting and the like production awkwardness feels really glaring on television, yeah. especially when, as you said, David, you have like Oprah standing there. Like, give put some respect on that name. That, that's why I say I do feel like it probably worked better in the room and was a more fun. But Rebecca, you could say better than me. Yeah, I mean, the lighting in the room looked nice, so I wonder if they kind of focused a little bit more on that when they should have focused on what it's going to look like for the millions yeah, of people it was, it was, it. that was actively bad. It was actively <laughs> um, bad. But, and, and I thought the stage design was kind of cool with all these separate small stages and the bar, the whole fake bar thing on the side. So, yeah, I think the design in the room was quite nice and felt pretty fancy, but, yeah, I think the music and the DJ and all that wasn't working in the room and and I think you know Keenan is is a very nice host um and sort of plays it safe but I those dance numbers didn't work in the room at all I was like no. I wonder what this looks like on television because <laughs> no, we were wondering what it looked like in the room <laughs> oh, yeah it, it wasn't you know an awe-inspiring dance performance uh it didn't feel like a concert or anything so that didn't quite work as an opening number it didn't it didn't boost up the energy at the start I'll say that the Emmys try to do the Oscars and fail. Well, I, it makes me think that, like, we're still kind of figuring out what our post-pandemic award show needs yes. are. Like, we were experimenting with these really casual, weird award shows in, in you know, the other 2020 Emmys with... Um, was that where Amy Poehler and Tina Fey were in separate coasts? No, that was the Golden Globes. Um, 
But anyway, like at the Oscars this year, they had like the kind of club table set up in the front, but then had everyone else in the auditorium. Um, like the return to formality, I think, is something we're still figuring out in a lot of aspects of society. And do people have a tolerance for like the big sweeping orchestral music at the awards? Or do they want to hear Shake Your Beauty instead? And I feel like they tipped a little too far into the casual side <laughs> of things. But I respect the the effort and the need to to figure out what works now. No, I think that's a great point. It- Definitely between that and the Oscars doing the whole fan favorite mess. Oh, Jesus. Uh, I was trying to be nice and not bring that up. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not nice. I'm not nice. Uh, You can sense, though, that producers of both award shows are are trying to do what they often do. And we often hear about these efforts in advance of the show, which is to bring in the young people and, and make it feel a little bit more exciting and less stiff. But the consequence of that is if you don't do it right, it just feels a little cheap and tacky. And (laughs) at the risk of sounding too mean, because I do think there were some things about this award show that worked. That was my general takeaway, sadly, was it just felt a little tacky in the way that they sanded down some of the more prestige or um, elevated elements of a top Hollywood award show. So we want to keep it snobby, but not too snobby. Yeah. (laughs) This lost a little too much of the snob. Well, and when people win an award and it really means something to them, as with Lizzo and Cheryl Lee Ralph, like you, it it does have the the grandeur to it. But maybe the problem with the Emmys is then you get Jason Sudeikis or, you know, even Julia Garner, who's lovely, but has won three times for the same show. Like they are excited to win an Emmy, obviously, but it's not like an earth shaking life moment the way that the Oscars always are and the way that the Emmys only sometimes are. Yeah, that's the big challenge. And that's why, you know, there there are many reasons why Variety Sketch Series or Variety Talk Series will be on the show every year. But for an audience member, you have to ask yourself, why am I watching John Oliver and Saturday Night Live when over and over and over again? Like, what is the value of that? Yeah. And it's it's a real challenge because those are huge parts of television and you have to honor them. But if you don't have the ability to change it up at all year after year after year it's it's just a real problem for a, any broadcast really i mean that sketch category it's just, how long do we have to go on with this it's just it's it's such a weird farce it just makes no sense i caught lauren michaels looking slightly surprised and i was like eh. <laughs> <laughs> let's cut elsewhere <laughs> I'm David Remnick, host of the New Yorker Radio Hour. There's nothing like finding a story you can really sink into that lets you tune out the noise and focus on what matters. In print or here on the podcast, The New Yorker brings you thoughtfulness and depth and even humor that you can't find anywhere else. So please join me every week for The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts. Well, wait, speaking of surprise, I guess we should talk a little bit more about some of the victors. I think we had all kind of convinced ourselves Melanie Linsky was going to win, um, drama series actress. um, But Zendaya won for the second time. She's the youngest two-time Emmy winner in any category. There's a lot of, like, records associated with it. And, like, you know, black women in particular have very few nominations in that category. She's Zendaya. She's an enormous star. She gave a great speech. And I wondered if Melanie Linsky didn't look, like, the slightest bit relieved when it cut to her. She did. Okay, good. I mean, she's had an incredible run regardless. Like, I think we can be fine with how this turned out. And she looked amazing. She so looked she amazing. She had her moment. The entire Yellow Jackets. Christina Ricci looked amazing. Yeah, she did. Mm-hmm. Um, Juliette Lewis was presenting at some point. She looked great, too. 
Yellow Jackets didn't win anything. They might have won at the Creative Art, Arts Emmys, but um, I thought it was a good night for them. It was interesting that in drama, that to me felt like the place where if you weren't a giant global juggernaut, as Squid Game was, they really leaned on what they'd already honored. You know, mm. most thought that Julia Garner would not three-peat, that you had Ho Yan there for Squid Game, but you also had Ray Seahorn for Better Call Saul, which is my personal heartbreak that yeah. that did not happen. And then in a Drama Lead Actress, like you said, Katie, you had Zendaya beating Melanie Linsky and also Laura Linney, who kind of came close a few times for Ozark, but never pulled it off. It, it, it did uh, feel she like... She never won for... Oh, I somehow she never I won. assumed she had won. Yeah, Julia Garner won three times and Laura Linney never won, uh, <laughs> which I, I do find a bit bizarre because there were times that Drama Supporting Actress was more competitive than Drama Actress, um, but Linney never was able to, to cross that finish line. But it did, it did feel like that was the area where the Emmys really reverted to what they have done, except for Squid Game, of course, which... It's too popular to deny in a few categories, thankfully. It's funny because I had the same experience um, that I had with Abbott. I had with Squid Game because director Huang won and then Lee Jung Jai won. And I was like, oh, maybe they're going to beat Succession. And then, mm-hmm. of course, like with the main categories, it didn't it didn't happen. I mean, those wins for that show were, were huge. And, and I, again, I do think when their next season comes, we'll, we'll see what that brings. Uh, but I thought for a second that Squid Game might beat Succession. Uh, Me too. I was just, I wanted a big upset in one of those main categories. Um, but I'm often disappointed when I want that. <laughs> There's something really glorious about Matthew McFadden being the only acting winner for, success, <laughs> for Succession, given how the last season played out. Um, and I thought his, his moment on stage was really lovely in particular. Yeah. I mean, David, we really um, talked a lot about this being Better Call Saul's chance because he just ended. Like, do you think next year they get one last shot or was this really the moment? I think this is it. I mean. <sighs> what a bummer. Everyone stop reading my article about how this is the year <laughs> Better Call Saul's finally going to win Emmy. Uh, that is not happening. Um, it's it's disappointing. I, I kind of don't know what more you can do. The final season was pretty wildly popular. The performances were so strong. It had a lot of different kinds of nominations and a lot of places where it could win. Like, I thought, oh, maybe the writer's branch will go for it because they have slightly different tastes than the rest of the TV Academy. See, you know, Michaela Cole winning last year um, or uh, Quinta Brunson winning this year, in fact. But it just it just feels like, for whatever reason, that show did not quite click uh, enough with you know for a win, even though it was always very well nominated. Yeah, it was it was a real disappointment, but I think that's it. Oh, I do want to bring up Gerard Carmichael's win. Oh, yeah, what yes. a speech! I, uh, what a sp- when he was what like, look. I wanted to win. I'm happy I won. I was like, this is so honest. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I, I respect to anyone who could wear a giant white fur coat because it was like a billion degrees outside yesterday and <laughs> deep late into the night. So um, I thought that was a really another sort of fresh and exciting moment for the show. A full circle moment from his comments on Little Gold Men in which he said, people care about awards. So. <laughs> well, he also, yes. I was looking back at that because he said something like, do I think I deserve gold? Yes. But like, I also feel weird about it. He had an interesting He's always very about frank it. about it. Yeah. yeah. He, he really, and I really appreciate that about him. And I, I know he was really, really proud of Rathaniel. He was extremely, um, he was, he felt he was worthy of recognition. And that's a nice thing to say sometimes because it's, it's not something you hear too often in this town. Uh, and I happen to agree with him, and I thought that was 
a very inspired choice and also slightly an eyebrow-raising one because the Emmys did not nominate it at all for Best Variety Special, but they did nominate Dave Chappelle. And I wonder if there was a bit of a corrective in the winner's vote there. Um, the right one, but it still felt a little bit odd to me that he could come out on top there but not make the top five in the main category. I mean, we can we can wrap it up, I guess, by going back to the parties again, Rebecca. Uh, any was was any one uh, network or host of a party celebrating more than others? I know HBO had a smaller party than they usually do, but yet won the most awards. So <laughs> whatever they were up to, maybe that was where the fun was. Yeah, uh, I'm, Natalie Jarvie went to the the HBO party and and she said it was very very packed with stars. It was much smaller. They used to do sort of the one big post Emmy party, but obviously with what's been going on on the acquisition and business side over there, I think they wanted to keep it much smaller this year. But it, uh, you know, Natalie said it was a definitely a really really good party. You know, Zendaya was had changed outfits and was celebrating and, and, you know, White Lotus. There was a lot to celebrate there. I will say Netflix delivers with the after parties every year. It seems like win or lose because our colleagues, um, Joy Press and uh, Chris Murphy, were at their party late into the night, and it was like a huge dance party with the cast of Squid Game, and they they know how to deliver a, a dance party. Um, yeah, that's been their tracker. Like even at Telluride, when you know there's like 20 people there, but they were had a dance party. <laughs> yeah, and and so that they did a great job. Disney also had a rather large party. It was definitely the most crowded event um, I went to, um, you know, and Andrew Garfield and Amanda Seyfried. Like, there were a lot of uh, big stars there. Obviously, the Abbott team was getting a lot of attention as well. But that that felt, I think it was just the space made it a little harder to move around and, and feel the vibe there. But it was um, also a really nice event. So there were, there was a lot of nice celebration going on all over town. We didn't mention the limited series acting winners, but um, having Amanda Seyfried and um, Michael Keaton win actor and actress reminds me that it was an unusually nice even spread of streamer wins. Like you had Hulu Mm. winning where they wanted in those categories. You had HBO Max, of course, maybe pulling a little bit ahead, but also the HBO proper versus HBO Max distinction would would question that somewhat. Uh, But you had Netflix winning for Squid Game, Apple winning for Ted Lasso, and Amazon getting that big win for for Lizzo. So it it felt like for once, everyone got a nice kind of moment uh, as opposed to having that huge Netflix haul or that huge Ted Lasso Apple haul. Uh, It was more of an even playing field. Yeah, that's something Natalie Jarvie wrote about for us, too, just about how HBO, like, once again, you know, this is this is where HBO shines. Is they come in and they win a ton of Emmys. Um, and they did they did so again. But, like, Netflix having, you know, both HBO and Netflix have had a lot of corporate intrigue around them this year, but they all have something to be proud of. Um, you know, it's hard to know if, if Netflix's big thing is Squid Game, like the show that they did not set up for a huge awards pedigree. Like, does that change right. how they approach these things? But that's, you know, it'll take, take a while for us to see how that plays out. Uh, well, final thoughts on this year's Emmys. It will be a while before we talk about TV again on this podcast because we're jumping right back into award seasons. Um, anything we learned about uh, the year ahead for television? Like, is Only Murders going to come back for vengeance? Does Amazon get to reign supreme with Lord of the Rings? Um, does this tell us anything about what Emmy voters want these days, except maybe more of what they already like? The bear will be back. <laughs> they got yeah. their first moment on stage, and they will definitely be back. They um, were so great. I ought to, I ought to be. They were adorable. Like princess, like ingenue dress, and Jeremy Allen White just looks looks hunky <laughs> under all circumstances. Uh, they yeah. were great. He I think they're going to do very like, well. Carrying her 
train around for her throughout the show, and I thought it was just the sweetest thing. Oh, <laughs> that's really cute. I want them to. I, I I will be happy with a bear sweep. Like I will. It's going to be my Mike White of the of the year. Like <laughs> we we can do it. It's okay. Well, next year's Emmys will feel, uh, you know, if things go well, like a Return of the Game of Thrones days of how, if House of the Dragon is the big HBO thing. And then White Lotus will be back, so it'll be another uh, flashback. So already we're anticipating the old familiar stuff that the Emmys will be winning <laughs> Emmys a year from now. Well, yeah. maybe Aubrey Plaza will win an Emmy. That would yeah. also be nice. That would be a thrill. And maybe they won't play her off the stage. <laughs> oh, don't ask for too much, Rebecca. <laughs> I'd watch yeah. her dance on stage, though. I'd, 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 I'd be into that. I, I was a big fan of the the musical moments of the show, from the singing and the dancing. If if the, I think more people need to do that during their awards, the uh, ones that were not the, the improvised DJ playing Shaky yeah. Rudy, yeah, yeah. not, yeah. not the yes, ones. Yes. I, and, and like I said, I think Abbott will be one to watch next year because it is coming back. I think yeah. this month. So, and they they have a full season, which is um, a lot more episodes than they had last season. So, I do think if they deliver, we'll be talking about them next year. Well, that does it for our Emmys wrap-up. As I said, we'll be back on Thursday's episode, back to festival season, because um, all all things are happening at the same time. So uh, come back for more on The Whale and Tar and Empire of Light and everything else you've been hearing about. Uh, in the meantime, you can find us on Twitter at HWD. That's where you were seeing a lot of Rebecca's dispatches from inside the room last night. Um, we're also on Twitter on our own. I'm at Katie Rich and Rebecca. Rebecca M. Ford. And David. David Canfield, 97. You can also sign up to text with us at joinsubtext.com slash littlegoldmen or text 213-513-7201. We already got some great Emmy questions for you guys and um, some stuff to discuss in our Thursday episode. Our editor and producer is Brett Fuchs, and this week's award for the best thing to do after surviving a long awards show night goes to Jennifer Coolidge via David Canfield. I had a lavender bath. I'm Bobby Finger. And I'm Lindsay Weber. Do you ever see a new face or name on your news feeds and say, who the heck is that? Our podcast, Who Weekly, is everything you need to know about the celebrities you don't. Think of us as your cheat code to People Magazine, your glossary for Hollywood, a shortcut to understanding pop culture at large. For the past eight years, Who Weekly has been telling listeners everything they need to know about the celebrities they don't. The New Yorker says we spelunk deep into the demimonde with convivial delight. That's a direct quote. Mostly, we're going to explain to you Irish star Barry Keoghan's sudden rise to fame and relationship with a not-so-under-the-radar pop princess named Sabrina. The fake wedding Real Housewives star Cynthia Bailey had to promote a limo rental company. And why all the Gen Zers you know are talking about a guy named Benson Boone. Each episode goes deep into the biggest celebrity stories of the moment. And if you're still confused, we even have a weekly call-in episode where we answer the most burning celebrity queries. Who Weekly airs twice weekly with brand new episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen and follow Who Weekly, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts.